0: Father, we surrender our bodies into Thy hands. And by faith we command our bodies to be still in the house of God. We tell our minds be focused. By faith we bring every thought to the captivity of Christ Jesus. We pray You would cleanse our ears with the blood of Your Son that we may hear what Your Son has to say to us today through Your Spirit. We pray you will cleanse our eyes with your anointing ointment, that we might see and understand scripture, that it might become life for us. Above all, we surrender our will, and we confess, not my will, but thy will be done, that we will be a people who will be taught of the Lord, and will obey the voice of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We pray, Father, when you come, Lord Jesus, you will find faith on earth. And you will find faith in this assembly. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Two more days. And we'll be reaching that 500 years of the Reformation that changed the world. when one man, one man stood up and lifted the word of God above everything else that was being said and done in the name of God. That's why the prominence of Psalm 138 and verse 2, I'm telling you in every place, every place I have gone outside this church, every place in Hyderabad, every meeting, every place in Jharkhand, every place in Bhutan, every place in Nepal, Not a single pastor knew Psalm 138, verse 2, that God has exalted his word above all his name. You know, when they heard, you have to see the responses of the pastors, not the congregation. They were in tears. They said, we didn't know this. We didn't know this. We didn't know this. We didn't know the prominence of God's word in how he does things. We did so many things in his name. And we didn't know he has exalted his word above all his name. So that's the primacy of the word of God in our life. Because God has called us that we might walk with him. And we cannot walk with him unless we know his ways. And his ways are explained to us and taught to us by the spirit through his word. Then only we can walk with him. And then when we walk in that way shown by the Spirit, then God says, my presence shall go with you. And you will have rest. Respect what you are going through life. You will experience the presence of God. And God has promised us when he is with us, what we experience inside is the rest of God. So this morning, we start with scripture from First Peter chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Uh, sorry, 2nd Peter, 2nd second Peter, not 1st, uh, 2nd Peter, where uh, he's talking about the end days. The Yeah, 2nd Peter, chapter 2. God, okay, and before that it's talking about God. God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered a righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." So all the epistles, if you look at it, all the epistles will always keep on warning the Spirit of God through different of His servants. Keep on warning us to prepare for that day. Because that day, Jesus warned, will come upon us as a surprise. Nobody will be aware when that day comes. And He said, don't get so bogged down by the anxieties, the worries, the pleasures of this world that this day catches you by surprise. And two incidents are given over there. We are not looking at uh, the, the context of today's study. is not talking about the last days or about, about judgment. But in these two illustrations God gives us from history, there are two people mentioned. One is Noah and the other is Lot. Jesus too mentioned both these people. Now Peter is mentioning. Jesus too will mention in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Meaning okay? even when Noah has entered the ark, there is shamiana's full of weddings going on. Meaning, why is God saying? God is saying that unless we are prepared and spiritually aware, it is impossible to know when He is coming. Okay. Impossible to know He coming. He says, all these things were happening. Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And some of them were destroyed right in the middle of a wedding feast. Okay? And then... Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from the heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his good yeah, the 30 is enough, up to 30 is enough. So we have both Peter and... And Jesus talking about two incidents, a little far apart in history, but both about judgment coming suddenly. And in this, we have two illustrations, two different people. One is Noah and one is Lot. If you look at these two people, if you look at these two people, we will see, What happened to both of them is not the same. It's not the same. Noah was able to save his entire family. Lot, on the other hand, technically loses everybody. Therefore, when we look at it, and we look at this scenario of two judgments in the Bible, and two men of faith mentioned, one is Noah and the other is Lot. Yet, their end is different. What happened to them is different. Then the question is, what is the difference between these two men and those who followed these two men? What is the difference between these two men? What is the difference between Noah and and Lot? What is the difference? If you go back to the first portion which we looked in 2nd Peter, The difference is vivid. Noah was a preacher of righteousness while Lot is called righteous. If you know, if you want to ask, what is the difference between these two? The answer is, look at what they built. What did the preacher build? What did the other one build? Look at it. Their faith is not the same. Their faith is not the same. One person, that is Lot, his faith is passive. The other one, Noah's faith is active. Therefore, the two results upon their lives when judgment comes. Okay. So we come back once again lifting up Sola scripture and Sola which means faith alone. In Ephesians 2.8, the simple, the the most important text on which we know our life is based on. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. You have been saved. And through? faith. How are we saved? By grace. Grace is from? God. Grace is from God. It's the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit that saves us. But, how are we saved? Through faith. That's on my side. And your side. That's the question Jesus asked. Do you believe that I can do that? He said, yes, we do it. He said, okay, let it be according to your faith. I'll leave it on you. Let it be according to your faith. So, God's power is called grace. Let it we receive it through Faith. Often our focus is on the wrong side. Our focus is on God's power. God said, you never have to worry about my power. There's no shutdown there. There's no lack there. It's unlimited. But he said, your focus, your eyes should be on your side. Where should we focus on? On our faith. How strong is our faith? How real is our faith? How genuine is our faith. So we have two examples before us today. And we ask, is my faith like Lot, who came out of judgment? Or is my faith like Noah, who also came out of judgment? Two. Because it's easy to compare Noah and the others who died, and Lot and the others who perished. No, God says no. You are believers. You don't worry about the others. Let's compare between our faith between two People, believers who came through different results when judgment came. So Second Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourself whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? It's, I, love, I love this statement because the question is given and the answer is also given. The answer is very simple. The answer is the person. The answer is not knowledge. The answer is not religion. The answer is not how many Bible studies we attend. It's not fasting. It's not prayer. It has got to do nothing. The answer is this. How do you know you are in the faith? Because you recognize somebody else living within you. And he is the one who is consciously making more and more decisions each day, not you. You are surrendering more and more and more into his hands and you know it's his will. He's living through you. That's how you know. That is from where our confidence comes. So what is that crucial element often missing in a believer's faith? When Peter talks in First Peter chapter 1, he talks about the elect whom God in his foreknowledge knows who will be saved. Elect According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay? You are already elect, meaning you are salvation is there. But how do you know? How do I know I am saved? Because you are put into this process. That's how you know. In sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit is sanctifying the elect, the saved, for obedience. How do I know I am being sanctified? God says, just check your obedience. And here the sprinkling of the blood is put at the end. Meaning he says, this works only when this works. The blood doesn't work on those disobeyed. The blood works on the obedient. Sanctification of the spirit for Obedience, unto obedience. Peter will speak again about this. He measures on this in 1 Peter again, chapter 1, where since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. He says, how does sanctification take place? Because you have obeyed the truth through the Spirit. It is the obedience that does that work. Okay. Sanctification is destructive only when we obey the voice of God, the word of God. How are we shielded? So, faith has a component that is very, very important, which was missing in half of Lord's life. He had only half obedience. He did not have the other half. When it came not doing the things you are supposed to do, he was obedient. But when it came to doing the things which you are supposed to do, he was not obedient. That's passive Christianity. And most Christians are passive. How are we shielded till Jesus comes? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How are we shielded? The power of God. Yes, But through, there is something in my hand, your hand. There is one huge component which is in God's hand, which we do not know. God, we don't understand how he does things. It's not a tangible thing. But there is something which you and I can know. It is shielded through faith. That's why we examine our faith. That is why we are constantly exhorted to keep on focusing on faith, examining our faith. So what does God do? In verse 6 and 7 he says, In this you greatly rejoice, because you are being shielded and kept for that day of judgment by faith, you rejoice. Why? Though now for a little while, if it be, you have been grieved by various... You are going through various trials in life. Various trials. You grieve in the flesh, because you don't understand what is it for. Why is God doing it? So that the genuineness of your faith... Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of... It's all connected with the end of this. About the end. The end of your life, death, or the end when Jesus comes. He says your faith is being tested. Believers go through more trials than unbelievers because God is making sure you know your faith is real so that when Jesus comes you are not caught unawares. Because you are shielded by what? Faith. You are shielded by faith. The proof of your salvation that if he comes today, you will go with him. You You are safe. The only proof is your faith. Therefore, your faith is tested. And it is tested not during good times usually. It is tested through trials. Trials. He tested through trials. So like I said, there are two kinds of faith. One, we live by it. The passive, it also has to be active. We live by it. Even Lot lived by it. And we know spectacular cases of Daniel and Joseph. When they lived by it, they were challenged by it and they lived by it and they chose, made a decision. We will not go that route. But there is Another side of faith when we have to act on it. James chapter 2, verse 17 and verse 26. Very familiar verses. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead. Again it will say, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. The question is, how do you know I believe? How do anyone know that he or she believes? Because your faith is what is going to take you. That's what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes, will he find? He didn't say, will I find a Bible study? He didn't say, will I find prayer? He didn't say, will I find worship? He didn't say, will I find the church service? He says, the only thing I look for is, did you believe? Will I find faith on earth? therefore, What is the proof of our faith? It is your act of obedience in a particular instance. In every instance in life, because we are called to live by faith, through the day there are instances we go through. And the question is, is there obedience that comes from faith in that instance? That is the proof. And if often, if not always, we pray for a miracle, we believe for a miracle, but we don't realize what is a miracle. A miracle is when the power of God flows into our life, but it is dependent upon one thing. It's upon whether we believe or not, whether we believe. Everybody who went to Jesus, we hear from scripture, got healed. Why? Because they went. They? Right? But everybody Jesus went to, you will almost always see, he tells them to do something to prove their belief. Always tell them something to do. Everybody who came to him, okay, you you have believed, you have heard my name, you have heard, you believe, therefore you have come, be healed. Everybody was healed. But everybody to whom he went, there was an instance, he asked them, To do something. We need miracles. Miracles should be not uncommon in a believer's life. Miracles should be what is common in a believer's life because we serve a miracle working God. So everything that God did does is a miracle and sometimes we take it for granted. We don't even recognize the miracle God has done this morning. That we are alive. We took it for granted. Why should I be alive? Two reasons. The unbeliever is alive. God is giving him one more day to repent. The believer is alive so that God says one more day to put your account clear. One more day. It's a miracle. We don't know the actual statistics of how many died last night. So if you are alive, it's a miracle. It's not by your skill or my skill we opened our eyes in the morning. It was a sheer act by God. Today we will look at one particular miracle of God. But before that, let me get into the premise. Like we know by now, very clearly, the gospel according to John, because it differs from the other gospel, not in the narrative, but how it looks at how Jesus did things. It talks about eight miracles, of so many miracles he did. talks about eight miracles. But they don't call them miracles. They call what? signs? He did much more. In John chapter 20 at the end, verse 30, and surely Jesus did, Many other signs in the presence of the disciple which are not written in this book. So John puts it across. He said Jesus did so many signs. And of which he recorded only eight. Seven before resurrection. And one after. So God, Jesus had a message and a ministry. The sign was pointing to that. Okay. When Christ comes into our life, we become a message and a ministry. And therefore, the signs that take place in us points to the message and the ministry. That's what he told Israel. You are for the world a wonder and a sign. The message is, Yahweh, God of Israel, is God. There is none other beside him. We are a sign and a wonder. We are a sign. In John chapter 2 and verse 11... This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifest his glory. And his disciples believed in him. What's the purpose of a sign? That we may believe even more in him. If it hasn't happened, then the sign has failed in our life. The sign hasn't failed, it has failed in our life. Every sign should increase our faith in christ it should increase our commitment it could increase our surrender it should increase our loyalty and our obedience that's the purpose of this sign otherwise we have failed the sign the sign has been failed but we have failed the sign in john chapter 2 and verse 23 when he was in jerusalem at passover during the feast Many believed in his name, and they saw the signs which he did. Why did they believe? He preached, and they saw the signs, and they believed. What is the purpose of the sign? So that we might believe in him. You know, in chapter 3 is when Nicodemus comes to him in the night. He comes to him. In chapter 3 and verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do this. He said, I looked at the sign. And I know something, you're authentic. You're from God. You're from God. Even Nicodemus was led to Jesus by the sign. But the message was too tough for him to receive. He saw the sign and came to Jesus, the signifier. And when Jesus said, You know what? You saw the sign, let me tell you the message. You have to receive the message, that the sign is of no use. The message is this, you need to be born again, meaning the message is you have to be completely turned around. Your life. And that was too much for him because he had too much to lose in this world. He walked away in the night. Sign doesn't save anybody. The message behind the sign. He, it's not that he didn't understand later what to be born again means. He was telling it's a complete turnaround, a new beginning for you. He walked away. The crowds followed him because of the signs. Chapter 6 and verse 26 says, Jesus said, I surely I say to you, seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate. He said, you didn't understand the message behind the sign. You ate the bread, but you didn't understand the bread was the sign. They didn't understand the sign. You're following me after the bread. But he didn't understand what the sign was. In chapter 7 and verse 31, see how many times John will use that word. Many of the people believed in him said, when Christ comes, will you do more signs than these, which this man has done? Okay. Now you see, they are believing. There was division over him. Because of the signs. The message and the signs. The sign and the message. In 9, chapter 9 and verse 16, therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Division among them. The priests and the Pharisees were confused. His message was so different from theirs. But the signs were also there they didn't know what to do in chapter 11 and verse 47 then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said what shall we do for this man works many signs shall we do but the people didn't believe the message in chapter 12 and verse 37 jesus is getting exasperated but although he had done so many signs before them they did not believe in him they wanted the signs and they kept on following for signs but they did not believe in him they did not grow in their faith in him or in their obedience in him so you will see the purpose behind the sign is that we might believe in him and the more we experience the supernatural grace of god in our lives honestly in our lives That we may surrender. That's what believe means, that we may surrender more and more and more. Believe in, put our trust in Him and obey His words. But, even in these eight signs, that's why these eight signs are interesting, there is always one human factor that is crucial to the miracle. Okay. The gospel according to John and all the science, the premise is set by, the tone is set by Mary. It's interesting. One of the most well-known verses which his mother speaks. What does she say? In chapter 2, verse 5, you know, wedding in Cana. there is an issue. They have run out of wine and they don't know what to do. She comes and tells the servants, whatever he says to you, do it." Okay? You want a miracle in your life? What is the answer? Whatever he says, you do it. Do it. Whatever he says, do it. It may make no sense. Usually what God tells makes no sense. Because a miracle, if it made sense, would not be a miracle. It's a miracle because it doesn't make sense. So, if you want a miracle which doesn't make sense, God will ask you to do something which looks like nonsense. It is nonsense. But, if you obey, you receive a miracle. Okay? So, what does he tell them? Six empty jars sitting over there, which is used for washing the feet of the guests. Fill it with water. Now, this is not at the beginning of the wedding. This is almost at the end of the wedding. Who washes their feet when they are going out? You wash your feet when you are coming in. So it doesn't make any sense. Why do you want me to fill these jars? Did they ask any questions? No. They fill the jars. God will ask you stuff which makes no sense to you and your reasonable doubt. You've got reason. Okay, we are all reasonable beings. All questions arise, Oh Lord, why do you want me to do this? It doesn't make any sense. And God says to you, it is nonsense, but it will make sense later. They filled it. When they filled it, he told them, one more thing, take a cup, take a cup, fill it, and go it to the master. They had to do a second thing. And the result of it is a miracle. Did you see? The power was there. The power of God to change an empty life into a life full of joy. You need to realize that we looked five years, of, a few weeks back, about two symbols God puts before us. What is that? Bread and water. Bread and water. He sets before all of us. Every human being on earth lives on bread and water. And God says, you know what? Every time man takes bread and drinks water, it is to let you know. You are living in your body, but you got a spirit, and you cannot live without my word and my spirit. This is but in the first miracle, he tells his people, I'm giving you something more. Wine is almost 90% water, but the 10% that is different adds joy. The 10%! You are not just to be people who live in the word, and by spirit you are supposed to be a rejoicing community. Rejoicing. That's where scripture says the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that is what we see through the book of Acts. Incredible, incredible suffering they go through, trials go through. But you cannot stop them from singing because it's a miracle. A daily supernatural event that is taking place in their life because they believed. They believed. So in the first sign, they had to do, do two things. So if you want a miracle, you want God's grace, his power to flow into our lives in any particular situation, listen carefully and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? It will not make sense, whatever he tells you to do. It won't make you sense. The second miracle also takes place in Kana. He's back in Kana and there is the rich man who is in, from Capernaum, he has come all the rich, of a royal official who has come all the way to Cana, and his son is dying, He's seriously in an ICU case. Serious, dying, and he has come all the way, he meets Jesus, falls at his feet, cries to him and says, Lord, please come to my son. He is dying. And Jesus is a little accessory, he looks at the, how long will you people be- believe without seeing signs? How long it take? And this is connected with a sign. And what is he asking for? He's asking for healing. It's connected with healing. And this is something which I tell everywhere. Everywhere I told them. You need not to cry out to God for healing. You don't have to, God's children don't have to go around searching out for healers. Healing is part of his provision, daily provision for you. It is. That's what he's saying. Why don't you believe? It's the bread from the Father's table for his children. I'm not saying you lead a rebellious life and unhealthy food style and all that and healing will automatically flow. No, we are not. There are rules which God has set in place. Follow that and healing is your daily bread. It's your daily bread. That's why it's exasperated. He said, when will you people just believe? When will you believe? Okay. This man has come all the way. He's crying for a miracle. He's falling at Jesus said, please, 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 please come. What is Jesus' answer? Go. Son is healed. It's not easy. Let's imagine one of you, your child is very ill in the ICU, and you say, Pastor, please come. I brought the car also, please come to the ICU and pray for me. And I say, Go. The child is healed. What will you do? What will you do? You're caught in a fix. Do I take this man's word for granted? Or stand there and be more pious and say, Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, I have a horse also for you. You Don't have to walk. If you want, I'll get donkeys for your disciples also, Lord. Please come and lay your hands. But do you know what scripture says in chapter 4? In verse, Jesus said, Go your way. Your son lives. Scripture says, The man believed the word and that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. How do you know he believed? How do you know he believed? How do you know you have believed something which God has said? Because there is an action corresponding to what He has said. That's what I told everywhere I said. I said, you know people, Christians mistake one thing. What is this? The Word of God. There is the Word of God. There is the God of the Word. Faith comes from? Hearing. Hearing from the? Word of God. You have to hear what the God of the Word has to tell you through the Word of God. That is how faith comes. Otherwise, you are just a religious Christian. You haven't heard what God has to say. ka vajan or vajan ka parmishan. Dono alag hai. They are not the same. They are one, but not always the same. This I can have with me. Good. Excellent. Good for living. Godly principles. But that's not what it's talking about from where faith comes. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. He has come to the word of God which is in flesh. And the word of God speaks to him and says, go. Scripture says he took him at his word and he went. We know the rest of the story. When he's going on the way, halfway he meets his servants. And they said, "Lord, Master, your servant lives. The first question he asks is, exactly what hour did he live? And they said, this hour. And he knew that was exactly the time when Jesus said he lives. And scripture says, because of that, he and his entire household believed in Jesus. So the sign worked. We'll be jumping because of healing. No, the whole put their trust in Jesus. That is the purpose of the sign. That is the purpose of the sign. Because faith, a sign has to lead to faith. That's what, what verse 53 says. And he himself believed and his whole household, they believed. They believed in Jesus. Not that they believed in the miracle. They believed in Jesus, the signifier, not just a sign. Okay. The next miracle takes place in, in the next chapter, chapter 5, where uh, you have this 38 years the crippled man has been sitting by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes and asks him, do you want to get well? Yeah, do you want to get it? I mean, you have to think. It is very really easy to read these narratives and I have done my daily devotion." It's not daily devotion. You are not doing any devotion there. You have to look over there and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me over here? Because this is a written word and you are a God who speaks. You are not the God who writes. You are the God who speaks. From the written scripture, you speak. You are living. What are you trying to tell me? He tells that man two things. He tells him, get up, pick up your mat and go. Pick up your mat and go. Imagine, Ask Sister Anne. She's just coming out of two months of in her bed. First time after that when the cast was taken off and to put her feet down ask her how much trouble she did to us. This man hasn't walked for 38 years. 38 years he hasn't walked. You don't even know what it is to attempt to try to get up. Scripture doesn't say Jesus reached out his hand and said, "Stand nothing, get up. Get up. So, he caught up. And after that, get down. Because you have to pick your mat now. Get down, pick your mat and walk. Why does Jesus do these things? Just to see. Do you really believe? Do we really believe? Do we really believe? And this is strange. Because he, we don't understand the ways of God. See, we now seeing in retrospect because we are all scholars now we know, oh, this is why Jesus did and all. But that's, when Jesus is telling these things, these people don't even understand what he is saying, but they obey. He has his reasons which are divine and supernatural. What did he tell him? He could have told him, arise and walk. Go, he didn't say that. He said, arise, pick up your mat and walk. Why? Because it was a Sabbath day. It was the Sabbath. That's why I told him, pick up the walk, mat and walk. This guy is becoming mat and walking. Who is waiting outside? The Pharisees. How dare you carry a mat on Sabbath? That was the reason. How dare you carry a mat on Sabbath? You look. Matthew five ten. Jews therefore said to him, "Was cured. It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful to you to carry a bed." They don't care that he's walking after thirty-eight years. Jesus has his own reasons when he tells us to do certain things. It may also to be provoke the legalists. At that point you are thinking today is Sabbath. And all these people are there. If I obey this man, I'm going to be in trouble. If I obey the word of God, I'm going to be in trouble. Now what I'm going to do, obey God or obey man? He picks up his mat and walks. And why did Jesus do this? The reason he had to prove something. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Why? For the Son of Man is Lord even over Sabbath. I'll put it together. Then you will realize you don't believe in this miracle. You don't believe. In the message behind this sign. The next one from John chapter. What did Jesus tell after that? He said, Jesus answered that my father has been working until now and I have been working. Let me tell you something. How much control has anybody on your work? I will tell you. Yes, you go to your boss, the cameras, the supervisor, the manager, team leader, whatever you want to call. But how much control has God over your rest? Don't touch my rest. Don't touch my vacation. This is my day off. God says, I am the Lord of your Sabbath. Um, Maybe everybody agrees he is my boss, which means he is the boss of my work. But is God the boss of your rest? Where he can say, get up. You may say, this is your weekend off. This is your vacation. Cancel your vacation. Go there. He the Lord of your Sabbath. It's very easy. All our prayers are connected with work. I have never heard anybody pray for the weekend. Right? Lord, please pray if the manager has favor on me. That is from Monday to Friday. How many prayers, Lord, I com- com- commit the lordship of my Saturday and Sunday into your hands. Tell me what I should do. No, this is my rest. He says, my father has been working. From the beginning till now, so am I. I am the Lord of Sabbath. He wanted to prove a point. That's why he did certain things. In his own ways, he picked the time because not the sign. We get stunned by the sign. He said, behind the sign, there is a bigger message. I'm not the God who just heals. I am also the God who wants to tell you, I am the Lord of all your time. All your time. Then the other one. Which we know, we looked at it, it is it five loaves and two fish. Right? Two things he asked them to do. One is, give it to me. And then, sit down. Meaning, whatever your problem is, whatever issue your problem, give it to me and sit down, patient. I do things in my own time. Sit down. Our problem is like what I told in all these places. Revivar ko dekhte aur mande ko and here we will give it now and after the service is over i surrender all after service is over i take it back all do we experience a multiplication of his grace in our life do we experience a multiplication of his power and his usefulness in his hands That's what God is saying. I want to. But you don't put yourself in my life. You only put certain situations into my hands. And your only thing was situation. So that, after that you want that also back. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very wonderful, easy to preach to a simple rural crowd. Because every church of theirs, they'll say the Lord's Prayer. I said, you all say the Lord's Prayer. They say, oh, I say, Hindi they will say, I say, wait a second. What did you say? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. I said, wait a second. You all prayed last night? Huh. What did you pray? I say, some total, this is your prayer. Lord, I want this. My husband wants this. My wife wants this. My child needs this. My neighbor needs this. We all need this. Thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Whose will was that? Whose will was that? That's not His will, that's your will. And what do you want? His power for your will. They, took, they understood it very simple. I said, Do you see what's happening? We have changed the gospel. The gospel is about us. The gospel is not about him. The gospel is not about his kingdom. The gospel is about our kingdom. The gospel is not about his name. The gospel is about our name. Every prayer request is connected with our name to make a name for ourselves. Then you understand when the end ages has come and there is opposition rising from every quarter, we see a church which is toothless and powerless. God said, that's not what I said. And you are are flooding your pillows and your prayer closets with your tears. But when I look, I see no faith. I see no obedience. Give it to me and sit down. Give it to me and sit down. Sit down patiently. Hand it all over into my hands and sit down. Be wait patiently. I will work it out. But don't take it back. Surrender your situation into my hands. Don't try to control. Don't try to control the situation. And the next one is, we will come back to that later. Jesus walks on water. We know that. That is the fifth one. The sixth one is, man born? Born blind. When we read that, very carefully. He is born blind. What did Jesus do? Takes a little mark spits on it, puts it on his eyes, and says, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. It. No sympathy. Faith doesn't work on sympathy. yo oh, poor fellow, he has never seen from the day he was born. Now to tell him to go all the way, okay, for you I will make a concession, okay, be healed. No, go. Go to the pool of Siloam. This fellow has to get up, and he has to go. We don't know how he is going. We don't know whether somebody took him. And all the way he is asking where is the pool of Siloam?" Then they will ask him why. Because I need some water to wash my eyes. Somebody will say we have water here. There is another pool here. They will say no. He said it very clearly. One specific pool. Not anywhere. Not anywhere. Pool of Siloam. Carefully yes. yes. listen to the instructions of Jesus. Where did he tell you to go? What did he tell you to do? You do it. Your miracle comes. The power of God flows there. And he will see, he sees. And he's thrown out of the synagogue. And Jesus happily receives. It. And he receives Jesus into his life. Because he refuses to listen to any one of the others' theology. He says, The man who gave me sight went beyond the sign to this signifier. That's what God is talking about. And Lazarus, we know very well. Yeah? What did Jesus ask them to do? One thing remove that stone. That used stone of unbelief. We'll say, Lord, remove that unbelief. He says, No, you remove it. People will take that portion I will make you to, cause you to walk in my ways, Lord. i claim that promise for this morning. I don't feel like going to church, Lord. Cost me to go to your house. Yeah, a chariot will come and lift you and bring. God says, get up you sluggard. <laughs> get ready and go to church. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Okay. He said, move. Now they have to operate on faith. What is sight? Very clear. He's been dead for four days. and The body is stinking by now. All that is true. All that is medical facts. Absolutely. But he said, you move that stone. I mean, it's very easy. Okay. He said, okay, I understand your unbelief. I understand. You're all scientifically minded. And I understand that. Okay, for, for your sake, I will move the stone. He said, no, you move the stone. <laughs> he said, no, you move the stone. And then you will see the glory of God. When only they move the stone, then he speaks, Lazarus, come out. Then Lazarus comes out. Okay. And that is the seven miracles before resurrection. And there is one after resurrection. It's very funny. Many times he has appeared. They have touched him. They have felt him. They have eaten him. All that later, Peter suddenly decides, this is too much. I have to go back fishing. Eight of them go with him, seven others go with him. One man breaks, seven disciples go shipping. Oh, oh fishing. <laughs> Jesus come his school. They're all out there fishing, fishing, catching, nothing. And Jesus is caught. I don't know how he caught this fish. Where did that's another miracle. The miracle. Then look, Jesus is sitting there. He's got a fire also. He's got all the fish fried and all ready. And he asked them, "Dosto, kuch mila? They said, "Nahi." He said, "Put it on that side." One thing they have to do. One thing they have to. do. What did he say? Put it on that side. When they put all the fish in the lake, is coming into that net. Like magnet, Peter says, that is the Lord. Did you see? Did you see? So, never doubt God's power. Never doubt God's love. Never doubt God's grace. That is all. You should never doubt these things. That's why God says, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus and we preach Christ crucified. Like I told over them, I told them, you see, have your, your, your issue is putting this stuff into his hands, your life into your hands, because everybody in our life from the beginning till the end has let us down. So trust is a major issue. Children start losing trust. Father will say, when I come back from office, you'll get me a chocolate? Yes. But by the time he comes back, he forgets. The child doesn't forget. He says, where's my chocolate? He will say, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Two days, three days, four days, continuous, the child has lost trust. And we go through life being, losing trust because people betray, people let you down. Jesus says, that's not me. Don't bring that into me. He says, take a good look at the hands you're putting. You see those hands? You can trust me. It's not ordinary hands. These hands are special. So God says, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your problems? And will you sit down and wait for me to move those things in your life? Will you obey what I tell you? So the fifth one is interesting. It's found in John chapter 6 verses 15 to 21. Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountainside, mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Got into the boat, went over to the sea towards Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Very simple. The thing is that this is there in two other Gospels. We know the story. He dismissed the crowd after they followed him after the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves. They dismissed them. He went up to the mountain to pray and he put them in a boat and sent them. Let's look at the parallel portion in Mark chapter 6 to see he had sent them. Mark chapter 6. Immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. So it was deliberate. It was not an accident that they got into the storm. He had purposely sent them in the boat ahead and the storm was part of God's plan for them. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. There in one direction, he sent them. He goes in another direction and he is praying. Matthew gives more details. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that's almost like 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay? Fourth watch of the night... Jesus went to them walking on the sea. All three portions will say when they saw Jesus, they were afraid. But Matthew will tell something. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, This is the ghost. And they cried out in fear. So we have almost a full feature of what happened. If you look at... The main feature in this story in all three portions in John six nineteen scripture says Yeah. John six and verse nineteen. They were afraid. And in Matthew 4 26, you will see they were afraid and they cried out. Okay, and Mark six forty nine and fifty. Got it? They supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. Matthew, it says they were afraid and they cried out. So you have three portions where it all says they were afraid. Let me tell you very clearly they were not afraid of the storm, they were not afraid of Jesus either. What were they afraid of? The ghost. The question is have you seen a ghost? Seen a ghost. Everybody sitting here, half the crowd sitting here at night, they are afraid to go out because they think there is a ghost and nobody has seen a ghost. Why? What is the ghost? See, they are not afraid of the storm. They are not afraid of Jesus. They are afraid of what they mistook as a ghost. A ghost is something which you have no clue. You know, people are afraid of the future because you have no control over the future. People have no... Half the things, or let's say 99% of the things most people do is because they are afraid of tomorrow. Why? What is our issue with the miracle? Though we pray for a miracle, we don't actually believe in a miracle because miracle is something that is supernatural. We have no control over it. Even when say I'm believing for my healing, we don't believe for a healing. The first time the symptom comes, the first call is to the doctor, not to Jesus, because we really don't believe. You heard about Thomas Jefferson? Thomas Jefferson was the third president of America. There's a Bible called the Jefferson Bible. He was the first cut and paste. What you guys do today for your projects, no? Cut and paste. What he literally did, he took the entire Bible and made a Thomas Jefferson Bible using a razor and glue. He cut out every supernatural miracle out of the Bible. He cut it all out, all the miracles of Jesus, including the resurrection. Including the resurrection. That is the problem. The problem is Do you believe Jesus multiplied the five loaves and fed 5000 people? Do you believe he can do it for you? That is the problem. That is the problem. We all say we believe. What do you believe? Meaning, it happened in the past because it's written. But that's not a, that's not what God is saying. God is not changed. It's still the same. Everything Jesus did, He did with a purpose. Remember, He was He deliberately sent out His disciples, and He sent them into a storm, and He walked on water. And their response is fear. Fear is the natural response of the natural man to the unknown. And fear is the most crippling of all emotions. You may not even know that it has crippled you. Fear can make a person do things unimaginable. You would never in your rational mind, until you are hit by fear, think You could do these things. Let me ask you this question. What made Abraham do what he did twice? Tell that his wife is not his wife. Here. Normally nobody would ever think that. I would never say this is not my wife. God says, really? Do you know what fear can do you? What made Isaac say, Rebecca... It's not my wife. What cost Jacob 20 years of his life? Fear. Why did he run away from his father's house with the blessing? He didn't run. Most people, children run away from home because they didn't get the blessing. This fellow got the blessing and ran. Why? Because he was afraid of his brother. Why did he live in that abuse in Laban's house for 20 years? Because he was both afraid of Laban and he was afraid of his brother. Look at Genesis 31 and verse 31. Because I was afraid. He was such a dark book, he ran away when his father-in-law was away. The father-in-law chased him and caught him after three days. Tell him, why did he run? He said, I was afraid. Then father-in-law, because of God's intervention, lets him go. And when he lets him go, he hears, my brother is coming and he's got 400 supplies with him. He's terrified. In 32, verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him." See? What broke that fear? How do you break fear? There's only one way you can break fear. You have to know the God who will break it for you. Chapter 32 and verse 30, Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. I'm no longer afraid. No longer afraid. Why does God lead us into situations that make us fearful? So that we can encounter God there and be set free from our fear? But how will you know you are free from fear? What did he fear most? He feared most Esau. What do you see him doing the next day? Running straight to Esau. He's no longer afraid. Don't say I am not without fear. You will only know. For everything you say, there is proof. There has to be proof. Fear cost one generation the promised land. They lost their lives. In the desert, one entire generation died in the promised land because of simple fear of the unknown. Other than twelve people, did the rest of the multitude see a giant? No. They only heard a description, there are giants I we are not going. All the promises of God, the presence of God, the miracles of God was no avail desert. we are not going. The church can also be stuck like that. A believer also can be all the promises of God, all the power of the Holy Spirit, everything is there, but I am not going. I am afraid. Remember Gideon? 32,000 came. Everybody came. God said, You do one thing, tell them one secret. What is the secret? Judges. Therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from the Mount Gilead. 22,000 left. When you see these crowds, nobody would ever think that 90% of them are afraid. When given the chance, they all turned around and scooted from the battlefield. Do you see? what? A powerful, powerful emotion this is. That's why God tells Joshua, 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 Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. He says, okay, all the promises of God are of no avail for you and the new generation unless you are of good courage and you are not afraid. Fearful people conquer nothing. That's why in all the armies, God's army, he gives them the Holy Spirit. What does he say? I've not given you the spirit of fear, but his spirit. And in the other worldly armies, what do they give? They give the spirit in the bottle. That fellow will drink and fight anybody. Liquor is free in the army. Why do you think it's given free? It's called you, you call it it's called Dutch courage. Okay. God says, I will never leave you. Never forsake you. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, God says, I will be with you. Let your conduct, he says, for himself, said, I will never leave you and no forsake you. Never leave you and no forsake you. But are we fearful? Young girls sitting over here, are you fearful about your future? Boy, more than boys, girls fear. Because so that's the way God created a woman. She knows she needs somebody to take care of her, a protect her. Therefore, they fear more than the boys. They fear more. God says, do you fear? Do you fear? Because you know the world, the way the world is, it's easier for a man to survive than for a woman. And therefore, the fear factor is more on one side than on the other side. But God says, I will never leave you. This is not for a male specific promise. This is promised to everybody. I will never leave you. No forsake you. What did Jesus respond to their fear? John chapter 6, 19 and 20. He said, don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. Until you have this encounter beyond theology, until you have this encounter with the living God, this person of Jesus Christ, Our fear is not going to go away. That's why God says examine your faith. Are you growing in your trust of the person of God? Fear is not going to go away. God has to abolish fear in the last days. Why? Because scripture says when all these things start happening, the hearts of men shall fail because of fear. Shall start failing because of fear. The kingdom of God will be established on earth because of fearless men and women. Fearless men and women. Not because of fearful. I will tell you, we will look, we will see. We may think, no, I am not fearful. We will see. Because in Revelation 21 verse 8, of all those who are outside the kingdom, outside heaven, sent to hell, the first in the left is the fearful. Trustless is the fearful. Because God says, fear makes you do things... Which other things will never make you do. First in that list is the fearful. Fearful. Why did David do what he did twice in his life? Because of fear. We already know about one we have seen. We also know the other one. But let's look just once. First Samuel chapter 27 verse 1. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday. It is fear. Simple fear. What did he do? In our modern parlance, if you read verses 5 to 7, he went into the world. He left the protection of God's appointed place, appointed ways, and his protection, and went into the world. And he started serving the ruler of the world. He went into Philistine territory, started serving Akish. And what did he do? Verse 9, it says, He lived there for a full year and four months. Everything stopped. No worship. No reading of the word. No writing of any psalms. Everything stopped. And he feels comfortable. Yet, everything he did, go back earlier. Yes, verse come. Okay, so Akish gave him Ziglac. therefore Ziglac has belonged. He's very happy. Where is he living? Under the very people he had defeated. Whom had he defeated? Goliath and the Philistines. Today, where is he living? Under the rulership. Whom have we defeated when we came to the Lord? The demons and the powers of darkness. Today, where do we live? Right under their rulership. Interesting, right? everything he did in the 16th month he did it because of fear fear and first samuel chapter 30 verse 1 says all that he did in that 16 his achievements in the world because he was afraid was burned down with fire burned down with fire how does it apply to us In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13, God says, this is it, how it applies to you. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. He will say, I will see how you built it. Did you build it by fear? Or did you build it by faith? Fire will test it. (laughs) In Proverbs 17, verse 3, I'm not sure whether I gave it to you. I gave it to you? Yeah. Scripture says, refining pot is for silver, furnace for the gold, but God tests the heart. That is where Scripture says, he puts us in the situation so that we might know whether our faith is real or not. Remember? The first crisis we saw, he used only the servants. In the second one, he said, go. But if you are fearful, you will keep on begging and you will think you are being very religious. The third one he was trying to deal with was the fear of the law, of Sabbath, of the Pharisees. The fourth one he was trying to deal with is the five and two fish. What does it mean? You really think 5,000 men, women and children over there, you really think only one boy had a tiffin with him? you really think? No. Only one boy gave. That's the difference. Only one boy gave. The others didn't. But they were fearful. They were thinking, if I give it, what will I eat? What will I eat? What kept the others? It is fear. Remember Elijah coming to the widow in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 13. Elijah said to her, What is the first thing he said? Do not fear. Do not fear. Because if you fear, you will not give. Why do most people don't give? They are crippled by fear. Crippled by fear. That's what I said. The whole kingdom of earth on on earth is going through a crisis everywhere. The only churches which have is the ones who keep on peddling a falsehood. Keep on giving, keep on giving, it will be hundred times old. They get it. The others don't give because they are crippled by fear. They don't give. Most people, Christians, don't really give. They give, but they don't give the way where you really believe. They don't give. Maximum is 10%. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said and make me a small case and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and yourself. He says, don't fear. Because she's looking at it. This is all I have. If I give, then what do I have? He says, don't fear. That's fear. That's fear. That is fear. This is Elijah and the widow. And this is the same issue worldwide for 2000 years in the church. Believing church. All around the world, this is the same issue. In Acts chapter 4, verses 33 to 35, why was there no lack in the church? They were poor people. With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, And laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. See, they were not crippled by fear. They were set free from the spirit of fear. They were set free. They were not afraid. They were not afraid. They did not have the kind of security governments give us today. They didn't have anything, but they were not afraid. They had been set free. Most people believe more in fear than in faith. Really? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that. What it is this? Which means, simple meaning that he exists. Do you believe he exists? Do you believe he exists? Then God says then why do you live as if he doesn't exist? Do you believe he exists? That is the question. That is the problem between religion and faith. We do a lot in Jesus' name, but often Jesus is not in what we do. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, what is the author and the it's not just the author. All the way of faith, He is the Lord of faith. Is the author and the finisher. You cannot begin in faith and then go in another direction. And say, at the end you will take me home because you will finish it. God says, no, I am the author and the finisher. All the way it is by faith. And we really, honestly struggle. We really struggle. Average believer does not realize most of his decisions are based on fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of man. Unknown. Really? Think about it. What, do you, what are you afraid of? I mean, real statistics done by them. Maximum number of people are afraid of public speaking. After that, fear of death. And with this fear of death is everything connected. That's why I said there was only one bold boy in that 5,000 crowd. He believed. He was not afraid. I don't know whether he believed in Jesus, but I'm sure he believed in his mother. (laughs) I go back home, she'll still give me. All the others kept quiet, but they didn't believe. The question is, do you really believe? But this is the fear that cripples people. And that fear cripples individual lives where God is not able to do anything with them. Because if you believe, there is a work, there is a sign, there is a proof that you believe. There is a proof that you believe. Do we really believe God exists? Elijah told the poor widow, she's on her last legs, don't be afraid. Why? Why shouldn't be afraid? In verse 14, this is what he says. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. You don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Has she seen this man before? Does she know? That's what Jesus said. There were many widows in Israel. But he know, he send a prophet to them, they only have theology and no faith. This woman has no theology, but she has faith. So he said, go there. Go there, she will give, the others won't give. Because everybody is going through famine, and the only way the famine can be broken is if they are willing to trust God, that God is the God of plenty and God of famine also. So, how do you know you believe God in famine? By expecting, not by expecting, by giving. That's the proof. That's the proof. If you have doubts about it, check the church records in November and December and January. Demonetization came, there was no money coming in. What happened? People didn't believe. Say your God's name is Modi. Everybody was afraid. Nothing end stopped. Everything went on as usual. All the things continued. But it not continued because the congregation believed. Panic certain. Panic certain. We are talking about times that are coming. Don't look at anything that the stock market. Stock market is just a bubble. Yesterday Amazon CEO was the richest man for five hours. After that the stock came down, he's again second richest. Just a bubble. You can feel good. At least for five hours, I was the richest man on earth. That's all. It's just a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. God says, do you fear? Do you really believe? Do you really believe? This is what the Lord God of Israel says. If you believe, you will make it and give it to me. Now the lady had an option. To believe or not to believe. And how will you know you believe? You will believe when you obey. That's what verse 15 and 16 say. She obeyed. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. The word of God has become the word of Elijah. And she obeyed the word of Elijah. Asked the word of God. She and he and a household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which is spoke by Elijah. How many are there in the WhatsApp group? Did you read yesterday's reading from China? Two young men? In their 20s. Two young pastors in their 20s. How many under their congregation? 200,000. How did they manage? They asked them, how do you do? We don't need anything. We believe. We are not living for here. We are going there. So these things don't matter. Whatever we get, we sell it. Because the ministry has to continue. And they said, when you don't have anything, but they don't have anything. How do you manage? They said we can sell our blood in the black market. Every three months you can give your blood. Nothing happens. Fresh blood comes. But blood is very expensive in the market. They said we sell our blood and continue our ministry. Our ministry will never run out of friends because we believe he exists. We believe. Do we believe? We are crying for more and more and provision while holding on to our treasure. Well, God says, you know, it's total unbelief. This is the basis of our faith. This is the basis of according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. That's what Romans 10, 17 says. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. That's why I say when you read your word, do you hear your God? When you read your word, do you hear your God? If you hear your God, he has something to tell you. How long did the supply last for this widow? How long was the famine? The Bible is very clear. Three and a half years. Twice, Jesus says. Apostle James also says. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4 and verse 25? I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine in the land. Jesus said it was three years. He said there were many fam- widows, but I didn't send them to anybody because I can't trust I cannot trust. And I I can tell you from from experience from the last two weeks, there were many Christian families in Jharkhand. But every house which opened up and said, We'll take the entire burden of this ministry for my town, is a new convert. There are many families who have been generations of Christians. To get them to church, it is very difficult. The other ones open their houses, they feed you one place, they fed us. We reached earlier by 4, they said we have cooked lunch, please sit. Simple, two rooms only. Everything, fed everything. Then they emptied their bedroom, got the baby out so that I could lie down for 20 minutes. Then we went to church and when they are going, they said, please come back. Because we know you have to drive in the night, so come back. We will come back straight from church It will make hot chapatis for you, eat and go. They have never seen us before. And they are the only family in their entire this thing who believes. The rest are all still unbelievers. Another man comes and drops his car over and says, Pastor, use it. I will go by bus. How many days for the next 8 days? Do you believe? Do you believe? Our problem is we struggle. God wants to do like this. Amazing things in the lives of his people. But the problem is, we say we believe, but we don't have any work to prove that we believe. In English we say, in American English you say, you have to put your money where your mouth is. We don't. we don't. We hold on to our treasures. You go back and look at the history of most of the churches built in the believing nations america and all you will always see stories about people who sold their houses and moved into smaller apartments so the church could be built they were following the same pattern from the book of acts they realized we are passing through we don't need all this land what are we keeping for this land for sell it let the kingdom go happen you really think that christians in india do not have enough money and land to build churches Cause plenty. But you know what? People won't give because they are crippled by fear. Crippled by fear. That's why God says, do I see? Anybody who really believes? He said there were plenty of widows in Israel. I can't send Elijah there. He will die of starvation. Let me send him to Samaria. Right in Zidon. Ride in Zarephal, under Jezebel's father's nose, there is a woman who believes. Let him go stay there. Are you getting the picture? What is happening here? We don't hear often because we don't obey. Because we are passive Christians like Lot. Lot was a good Christian. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't drink. He didn't do any of the things Christians are not supposed to do. He's a good Christian. But did he obey? No. What was he doing? Busy building his house and his industry. Therefore he never heard judgment was coming. Never heard. He was totally unprepared. And God literally had to send an angel and knock at his door and says, get out! Because your uncle is praying. Get out! Judgment is here. Absolutely. He had no clue. Noah, what? what is he called? He's the preacher of righteousness. Question. Why is Lot not called a preacher of righteousness? Answer. Look at what he is building. Question. What are you building? He built a house, he built an industry, he built an enterprise, everything, and his work was consumed by fire. Noah built an ark, and think about it, normally think about it. Noah must have been a very rich landlord, Lord, plenty of everything to build it. He must have sold everything to build this. And he built it by faith. But when judgment came, what he built stood When judgment came, what Lot built disappeared. And you know what? Both are called righteous. Both are called righteous. But the righteousness was different. Righteous are different. So many believers are like the rich man in that parable, holding and holding on to their riches. While the poor believers are opening up their homes and opening up their treasures and say, let the kingdom come and God says, I see you, I believe you. I see you, I believe you. You will experience my grace. Because we claim all the material promises of the Old Testament without looking at the real promise of the New Testament. If you have food to eat and clothing on your back, You should be content, for I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I am there with you till the end of time. We have turned it around and said, I am not very much concerned if you are there with me or not, but you know what, I am claiming it, I am naming it, this, 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 this. Where is the kingdom? That's why he told Haggai, you are all living in good houses. I see your houses, tiles, vitrified tiles, paneled, wood paneling, everything, what about my house? What about my house? That's what he said. Do we see what we are building? So do we remember where we started this morning as we close? Luke chapter 17, 26 and 29. Lot entered into what he built sorry noah entered into what he built lot had to abandon everything that he built right but on the day that lot went out of sodom it rained that is the only words action connected with faith recorded in lord's name is what he went out. That's the only thing. The rest is righteous. In his heart is righteous. He is struggling with all the evil that is happening, but no action. No action. No action. So the question we need to ask is, to go back home and look in the mirror. What can God say about me? Last two Sundays you heard from Pastor Vijay. Whom did he hear about? You, we heard about Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and now you heard about Josiah, right? Young man, did you hear about Josiah? Are you all strangers? Last Sunday I heard the message. He spoke about Josiah, right? Sunday. You heard about Josiah, the reformation. A young man brought. But let me ask you, he became king at the age of 8 and he ruled for 31 years. How old was he when he died? Simple math. How many? Why should such a godly, righteous king die at 39? What if he had lived through 69? Well, Manasseh ruled for 40 years or more, 58 years if I am right. This good king rules only for 31 years. Why did he die? Why did he die? Do you know the prophecy of Huldah over Manasseh? Sorry, I am closing. Of over uh, Josiah? Listen. Second Kings chapter 22, 19 and 20. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, When you heard what I spoke against this place and against inhabitants that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely therefore I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. That was what was prophesied over Josiah. Yet his end is recorded in chapter 23 and verse 29. What is his end? In his days, Pharaoh Nico, a king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Nico killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Lord, what is this? Wasn't he a nice king? Wasn't he such a godly king? He didn't he bring so much reformation. Why did he have to die so young? 39! Younger than me! 39. Do you know? Why he died? Let's read that and close. Second Chronicles, you read the parallel history. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, after all this, everything is wonderful, prepared the temple, Nico, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Ephertus, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him, saying, What I have to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God, whose God? Josiah's God, commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Necho, From the mouth of God, so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo and the archer shot King Josiah and the king said to his servants, take me away for I am severely wounded. Why did he die? Because he refused to obey the word of God. Youth without wisdom. Zeal got into a battle which was started by God, not for him, but for somebody else. The Pharaoh said, please, 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 your God has told me to do this. Don't come against me. And he said, no, I will fight you. Need I? Does our faith have obedience? When the best of best can be destroyed because they did not obey the word of God. That might come from somebody. And you know, God is speaking. That's why Scripture says, examine your faith. Examine your faith. And how do you know? Test yourself whether you are in the faith. How do you know whether Christ Jesus is In you. And what characterizes Christ's entire life? It is obedience. If you look at one word, if you describe Christ's life, it is absolute obedience to the Father. That characterizes His life. Not my will, but I will be. Behold the Lord in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come to do your will. That's how you test yourself this tenth month. Lord, am I obedient to your voice? God says, my grace is there. My grace is there. I am there, willing. You will have a supernatural life. Don't worry. You will go through it all. All the famine, all through it. I will never leave you nor forsake me. You, I will take you through it all. Because I am a God who keeps His word. I am a God who keeps His word. You don't have to fear. Don't let fear cripple you. Don't let fear put you in prison. Don't let it. We call to a life of faith, a life which does not know fear, because He has not given us the spirit of fear. So this morning, so we stand up this morning. Okay. This shouldn't end up as songs. It should be more than that. That we do not fear. And don't let the word of God come through one ear and go through the other ear. Meditate upon it and go back and say, Lord, examine me. Am I afraid? Am I afraid to actually surrender into your hands? Because if I don't surrender into his hands and I operate in fear, I surrender into another pair of hands, which holds you captive. Holds you captive. And then ultimately you become a slave of the enemy because of fear. For 20 years, that's how Jacob lived. At 40, he could have become Israel, but he became Israel only at 60. His destiny was to become Israel, man who overcomes with God and with man. But for 20 years, he was living in absolute fear, fear. Lord, of people are like that crowd that experienced that miracle because one little boy surrendered all he had fearlessly. One man would rule over Israel for years because the mother fearlessly gave that little boy into God's hand and says, take him, he's yours. That was the young boy, Samuel. We hold on, hold on to things which we cannot take. With us, hold on, hold on, hold on. Then when we die, somebody else uses it. And God says, did you see? Foolish man, you were rich, but you were not rich towards God. You leave it for a generation who has no discipline and they will waste it away in two years. Gone. Gone. That's, what, that's a history cycle in the world. You look at it. One generation works hard and holds it up. They won't give it away to God. They keep it. The next generation comes in and splurges it and it is gone. And the third generation lives in poverty. All because you are not rich towards God. Because God has said, to whom He gives... He refreshes him. And I will take care of your inheritance and your children. Take it very, very clear in your hearts as young people, older people. God doesn't change his ways, God doesn't change his word. Don't hold on to your fears. Put it into God's hands and don't take it out. Leave it in his hands. Leave it completely in his hands, even you young ones. You may think, I have no home, I have no parents, I have no, but it doesn't matter. God is, you have God. You don't need anybody more than God. You have God. And surrender it completely into His hands and says, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I surrender my life into Your hands. I surrender my children into Your hands. And I take up, And I want to sit down. And I'm going to be patient. And I'm going to do what You have told me to do. And I know in my life, provision will come. Because the God of Israel doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He's always true. And He's always righteous. Don't let fear cripple you from God-given destiny. The destiny of God over everyone is fantastic because it's the same God. And it's not a respect for persons. The plans God has are fantastic for everyone. If you look at it spiritually, it's spiritual eyes. But what keeps people from it? It is fear. Today, don't be a slave to fear. Don't be a slave to fear. Say, Repeat. God has not given me a spirit of fear. He has not. So don't receive what God has not given. He has not given us the spirit of fear. Shall we pray? Father, this morning I just come to you, Lord. We come together as a church. So many areas, oh Lord, fear cripples. Abraham was afraid. Isaac was afraid. And Jacob lived in terror. Yet Joseph... Was not afraid. He was the one who was sold as a slave. He was the one who was thrown into prison. But there was no fear. And God was with him. Help us to know you are the same God. You will never leave us nor forsake us. We can safely, confidently give our life into your hands, our families into your hands, all that we have into your hands, knowing they are safe they are safe not only that father when we give our lives into your hands you will use our lives to bless multitudes one little boy stiffened given into your hands fed the hunger of thousands that day and i pray today standing in your house are so many lives young and old and i pray today as an act of faith Each one will completely surrender their life into your hands. Completely. And leave it there. I pray, Father, you use us as you see fit. As individuals and as the church. We don't want to end as Lot. We want to finish as Noah. We want to finish as Enoch. We want to finish as Joseph. We want to finish as Jacob. We don't, O Lord, want to finish as Lot, who was useless in the kingdom of God. He only served as an example to others of what not to become. We don't want to be like Lot, O Lord. Help us, Father, to overcome our fears. In the power of your spirit. Help us to trust you more and more each day. Trust you, believe you, and keep on surrendering, surrendering until our entire being is in your hands. Then only we will know what true blessing is. Then only we will know, Lord, what it is to walk with you. Commit this church and we commit all of our churches into thy hands. I pray may the hand of God reach out and touch every soul and strengthen them in the inner man. Oh, Father, that we will be a set of fearless people living in a fearful world. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. Meet your people at their point of need. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you, God. We worship you, God. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Now We lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, and we bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and Amen.